0: This is the Stuck Mike Abcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly,
1: living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 134, Fuel Planning, Emergency, and Minimum Fuel Explained, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike
0: Abcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
1: Hi folks, this is Carl Valeri. I'll be your host this evening for the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm really excited to be here this evening. We have some really cool topics to discuss and also we have a guest host this evening. But before we get to our guest host, I want to introduce our, our regular host. And uh, first of all, from uh, I think the snowy northeast is Rick Felty. Rick, welcome. Yes.
2: Uh, thank you very much. We have a we had a dusting today, so it's official. And I think Boston got its first measurable snow this year.
1: Awesome, awesome. As a matter of fact, I woke up also and saw that snow on the car. So we kind of talked about that last episode. So make sure you go back and you listen in about yep. winter weather and preparing for the winter. Uh, we should have talked a little bit about preparing how to in uh, getting to the airport. I guess you know get, preparing the car. Exactly. Uh, I yep. noticed uh, – I haven't been living up in the northeast too much. I just moved back. As a matter of fact, this is – I am uh, <laughs> broadcasting from Bucolic, uh, Basking Ridge, New Jersey right now. Nice. And we uh, we actually uh, found that there's people that park backwards in their driveways. And I, I was scratching my head, and I forgot why that was. And then the snow happened this morning, and then I realized it's, it's much easier to, to go forward than having to back around and get out of your driveway. I'm sure you see that a lot in the northeast, don't you? <laughs>
2: Yeah, the strategic uh, positioning of cars is is a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that. So I am looking at all these people. Like, why are these people doing this? It's like this is really strange. It's just like when people put blankets on their wings on their airplanes, you know, just to make sure they can take all the snow off. But uh, welcome, Rick, and uh, also joining us from another very well. Yeah, it's a cold destination right now. Is Larry Overstreet? Larry, welcome
3: hey thanks carl yeah we got a couple of inches of snow over the weekend too so i think that's the first uh official measurable snow for us this year
1: and in wisconsin and i think they uh they actually get quite a bit of snow every year and it's it's cold but it's a beautiful state even in the winter Uh, and flying above all that snow is so awesome especially at night just a just a blast to see so it is beautiful yeah i'm excited snow yes yes it's it's gorgeous well, also joining this evening, uh, us this evening is somebody who's uh, been on the podcast before, and you may have heard him if you ever listen to Aviation Career's podcast. Uh, he's a co-host on that show, and it's somebody I wanted to bring in because we have a special topic this evening, and that is Paul Greco, an airline captain, uh, flies a turboprop in the weather all the time, and uh, I thought it was prescient to have him on. Paul, welcome to the podcast.
4: Hey, thanks. thanks. It's great to be here
1: again. Awesome, awesome, Paul. And uh, this evening, you are also in a cold destination or somewhere with a, a Mai Tai on the beach?
4: Uh, neither. I'm in a moderately cool destination oh. right now. I'm in Fayetteville. Fayetteville? Where Fayetteville where? So, Oh, just Arkansas. right outside the airport. Oh, okay. So, no, I'm sorry, Fayetteville, North Carolina. North yeah, Carolina, there's okay. multiple Fayettevilles. <laughs> That's true, yeah. No, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So it's... It was nice here. We left. I left Jersey, and it was snowing. And then uh, we went to Washington, and it was raining. And then we got to Fayetteville, and it was, snowing. and like fifty or
1: so. So it's it's nice down here. Cool. Yeah. He, you kind of did, you can tell you where you're from. You had, you said you left Jersey, meaning you probably left Newark, New Jersey. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, no, that's a that's a Jersey. That's, okay. that's a Jersey thing. Yeah, Sorry. What, what exit? We left exit. <laughs> we
4: left exit one forty two. <laughs> And then, yeah. no, we <laughs> left. We flew out of Newark, and then we went to Washington, Dallas.
1: Cool, cool. Well, it's welcome. Welcome, Thanks. welcome. It's, it's great, to, great to have you here, and, and we have some a uh, great dis- discussion on a terrific topic, but before yeah, we get It's Oh, it is. It's, and it, it's something that I've been discussing with a lot of people lately, and I really want to talk about this because uh, there's so many angles we can go on. But before we do that, oh, we have yeah. a few things to get to here. So let me uh, first, of course, uh, mention the sponsors of the podcast. Of course, uh, AerospaceScholarships.com is a sponsor of this podcast this evening. AerospaceScholarships.com is actually the largest online directory of scholarships, and it's grown. Every day. Uh, your actual help with sponsoring this podcast here does help Aerospace Scholarships.com and providing scholarships for those, everybody that wants to get into aviation, or say they're a rusty pilot and they want to start flying again. It's not just for becoming a professional pilot. So check it out Aerospace Scholarships.com. Also, another sponsor of this podcast. We mentioned them last. I think it was Larry. It was your pick of the week. Uh, was yes, it was. Was the Pilot Mall. And uh, one thing we forgot to mention is Pilot Mall. Also, uh, it we're affiliate members of Pilot Mall, and they obviously they which means they pretty much are help sponsor this by our links. And it is uh, to find the Pilot Mall and to help us out, to help support this podcast. Just go to stuckmycafcast.com. Pilot Mall. They have some really cool stuff. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But again, StuckMikeAvcast.com slash Pilot Mall. Really wonderful people over there at Pilot Mall.
0: Let's do the pre flight.
1: And that's our sponsors for this evening. We uh, actually don't have any announcements because we have a bunch of uh, emails that have come in. If you want to uh, your email answered or you want to send us some feedback, please do at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com or just go to stuckmikeavcast.com and just click on the contact page. This first one actually is more centered towards uh, our friend Larry. So let me read this one. First one comes in and uh, says Hi Stuck Mike Avcast crew. Greetings from Wisconsin. I'm a recent, unrusty pilot, getting back in the air after six and thirteen years. Uh, after six and thirteen years, flying as much as I can. So I guess he stopped a couple times, and sharing my passion with my twelve-year-old son. Listen to the latest podcast, I learned Larry is a fellow Wisconsinite. Am I saying that right, Larry? Is that a Wisconsinite? Is that right? Uh, you bet. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't want to Wisconsinite is
3: most most people actually pronounce that cheesehead, but. You know, ah, depends on how you spell it.
1: I see. <laughs> well, he continues. Uh, and reading his bio as well as a glider tow pilot. That's cool. You, so uh, he's also a glider tow pilot. I'm also looking for ways right. to build hours just to get up in the air. Or he wants to become one, I should say. Uh, just to get up in the air. And since I don't have a commercial pilot yet, glider towing intrigues me. Additionally, glider flying is a possibility for my son to take command of an aircraft sooner than powered flight. What's the easiest way for us to learn more about gliding and towing? Uh, He tells us the different airports that he's based in. And uh, we'll get back to you on that as far as glider towing, as as far as a direct uh, email to you. But he continues, thanks and blue skies. So, Larry, uh, I thought I could direct this question to you. How is it that you get into, let's talk about the first part where he talks about the the gliding and then talk a little bit about about towing.
3: You bet. Um, Well, I started soaring gliding when I was 14. Uh, flying out of Hinckley Illinois and solo when I was 14 got my license I think at 17 uh, you can get your license at 16 uh, on the glider side so you're you're absolutely right you can start flying uh, sooner and, and actually get rated sooner um, so I, I walked away with a private pilot rating you know glider uh, only uh, at 17 um, and I think you know as a lot of people have said right up to Sully uh Knowing how to fly a glider makes you a better power pilot, you know. In a lot of people's estimation, um, I think that's true. Uh, you get you learn how to use the rudders. That's a good thing, right? Um, and it's a whole lot of fun. It just is rewarding. Um, it's a very different kind of flying. Um, it's a team sport, so you need other people to help you out on the ground as well as in, in the tow. So you, there's sort of a community around it. Um, and it's also, you know, I, I'm not a great golfer by any stretch, but I kind of tell people that, you know, it's, it's for flying, it's the closest kind of flying to golf uh, that I can think of. And then people usually look at me funny. Um, but what I mean by that is that, you know, if you're going to go out and play a course, you, you know, the course is the course. And on a given day, the wind is the wind and the grass is as wet or as dry as it is you know, and, and visibility is what it is. And, you know, if it's gusty or not, you know, you just like you get the course you get on a given day and you play that course. Um, and in a similar way, without power in, in a glider, you you get the day you get, you know, the the um, the lift is what the lift is. The wind is what the wind is. And, and you're really learning uh, it, almost like a sport, a, a, a skill set to play that field that, you know, that you have, play that hand you've been dealt, um, that sky, if you will that you've been dealt that day um and so it's really very different than learning how to you know push go and and uh pull back on the yoke and go up um but uh, a lot of great skills that you can learn there um as far as how to learn uh there are many places around the country uh to learn you know soaring and i would even encourage you if, if you don't already have your private pilot's license uh to consider that as a is a way to to start flying yourself um Here in Wisconsin, uh, there are both clubs and commercial operators. I'm part of a club uh, based at uh, Hartford, Wisconsin. Uh, I understand a great commercial operator down in Beloit uh, that I've never been there for. Um, uh, When my son was 14, uh, rather than take him around here, uh, he and I uh, went down to uh, Tennessee and went to a place called the Chilhowee Glider Port. And Howie uh, won because I was looking for a place where I could go with my son for a week, and have him have a chance at soloing. There's obviously no guarantees or anything like that, but um, I wanted it to be kid friendly. And um, he'd flown with me a lot. He had you know some decent stick and rudder skills, uh, and I wanted to see if if you know he could get as close as he could you know, in an accelerated way. And so. Um, I looked at different glider ports around, and they had a picture of a 14-year-old with a bucket of water coming over his head after soloing uh, on their website. And so I, I picked up the phone and called them, and they are super nice people. Um, but there are places like that all over the country. So whether you want to stick around close or whether you want to do it in an accelerated way, um, uh, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Get a first flight, you know, just like with any kind of aviation, um, and and um, uh, that's you know. Uh, without, without going too far, and I've probably spent too much time here already. But uh, as you can tell, it's it's a just pretty passion. fun thing for our family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, on the towing side, um, I don't have the regs right in front of me. I did pull them out and read them the other day. Um, but essentially, you you do um, some rides in a glider, which you can accomplish if you're a glider pilot or just by going with you know uh, with another pilot, um, and then some simulated. Uh, or real toes uh, with a, a glider pilot who is already signed off. And then it's one of the weird endorsements where just another pilot can endorse you. So if it's a another tow pilot who is properly endorsed for glider flying, or of for glider towing, that tow pilot can walk you through the requirements and then endorse your logbook so that you can then uh, tow. Um, depending on the aircraft you're towing in, you may also need, you know, high performance rating or or whatever. Um, uh, our tow, pi- or, sorry, our tow plane is a Piper Pawnee with I think a 200 and, what is it, 250 horse engine in it. Um, uh, you know, so you would need whatever else uh, you might need. In this case, it's also a tail dragger, uh, so you need those endorsements. Um, but it is it is a good way to. Uh, get some flying time in, and as a non-commercial pilot, it's one of the few things you can do where uh, flight time is not considered uh, uh, payment. You know, so without the commercial rating, you can still uh, serve your your uh, organization, your club, or whatever in that way.
1: Interesting, interesting. So uh, you don't need to, to have the commercial pilot license to do that to serve your club. That's correct. Awesome.
3: There are a couple of carve-outs, um, and that's one of them. I think uh, aircraft sales is one of them, and, and I may be missing one. But the, you know there are just a couple of them where uh, you can, as a non-commercial pilot, as just a private pilot, you can get you know kind of quote-unquote free airtime, and it's not considered uh, – any kind of compensation.
1: Great. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Larry. That's that's awesome. And uh, of course, we can go on and on about glider flying. And uh, and we've had people on that have been uh, tow pilots and also glider pilots. I guess they one of them didn't mention they were a tow pilot, but it is a blast. I've I've been up in a glider a few times, and I really. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, like you said, I'm glad you said something about it makes your flying better. It's good to, for all pilots. Uh, it is important whether you're, you know, starting out or an airline pilot to have really good stick and rudder skills, uh, especially while landing in the crosswind. No matter the size of the airplane, it's really important to have stick and rudder skills. I've said that many, many times. Uh, well, thanks for that, Larry. Oh, and by the way, he did put in a P.S. He says, "P.S. If Larry or any of you is a baseball fan, let me know if you ever need or want tickets to the Brewers game." Oh my gosh, I might just take you uh larry, larry i know you would but uh i've always wanted to go to a brewer's game so i may may wind up doing that and asking for those uh but uh definitely want to get up there maybe larry and i can go to the game that'd be pretty cool or anybody else that can make it up there but thanks again for that for awesome. that uh, email appreciate that uh and thank you yeah uh before we get on to the next uh listener mail i just want to uh tell you somebody else has actually joined us on the podcast here it's tom frick tom welcome from sunny florida Hey, Carl, how are you doing? Great, great. And uh, it's great to have you uh, on and join us this evening. We're going to talk about a really important issue, and that's that's fuel. And I know you, you know quite a few things about that. And love to hear uh, what you have to say about uh, talking to your students about fuel conservation. But uh, anyway, let's continue on. Uh, and uh, talk a little bit about some of these other uh, emails I have. Actually, I can get through these two more emails real quick. I think we have time. Uh, the next uh, email comes in and says, Carl and crew, I'm from the great state of Oklahoma. I'm not a pilot yet. However, I want to be as prepared as possible for when the time comes for me to start training. So I'm always looking for resources to learn. I found your podcast, and this last week I had a drive to Washington, D.C., and back for work. Wow, it's a long ride. I listened to the podcast nonstop for over 20 hours and never once got bored with it. Wow. The information you bring is relevant and interesting. Thank you for taking the time to make this podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to the next Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, thanks so much for that. I really appreciate that, and, and I'm glad you're getting something out of it. Um,
2: and that's, my, a, that's, that's an impressive uh uh, duration record. I don't know if I've heard anyone who's lis- listened to too much to that much of our show that that quickly.
1: Rick, we should probably have a have a, a prize for the most hours yeah. listened. <laughs> and, and write us we and should. let us know because yeah, that's that's the most I've ever heard of. Uh, right. We'll we'll give you the official Stuck Mike Avcast sticker or or a <laughs> pen. Uh, we still have some pins actually, so I should start distributing things. Oh. Actually, we need to start doing that more often. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Anyway, appreciate that email. Uh, the next email we'll get through here is uh, from a new listener. It says I just started listening this year, and am a fifty up to. Excuse me, and I'm up to episode fifty-seven. In a past podcast. Uh, tales about a book, Penelope Pilot, and Her First Day as Captain. I'd like to send that out some gifts, but I have a hard time finding where I can get it. I've tried girlswithwings.org, but it, it wants mm. a password. Please help. Now, uh, some yeah. things have changed with that, with uh, Girls with Wings. And uh, Linda Meeks is actually, she was the author of that, and it's a wonderful book. I know uh, you've seen it, Rick, and, and I've really enjoyed the book. Uh, yeah, I have it. You have it. Okay. Yeah. and. The, the thing is, most of these are used copies. I have reached out to the uh, author, and I'm, gonna, I'm asking her if they're going to be uh, actually maybe printing some more someday. Uh, but it is one of those books that I do every so often get emails about, so I'm going to see if we can get some copies. There is I do have a link. It'll be in the show notes where you can get the, the book, but all the links uh, go to the used books. There are no news, new books out there that I know of. And if anybody knows of them, please uh, forward that to us. I'd really appreciate that. Um, Rick, do you know of any new books out on the shelves for the Penelope pilot?
2: No, but yeah. I, I didn't. I, I can certainly check on that as well and let cool. you know.
1: Awesome. awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, anyway, he continues here. says, uh, also for episode 50, going back to 50, uh, 50, we talked about our 50th hour doing whatever. Uh, he talked about uh, 50th hours from uh, KDED and uh, to work on a solo uh, from a commercial, and three days later pass a written. Uh, six days after the written, I had my 50th flight uh, in uh, in Maine, and giving me 74.2 hours. Uh, two days after the 50th flight, got my pilot certificate. So that's awesome. That's really really cool. Uh, so really appreciate that. Like the emails. I appreciate your emails, and uh, you know keep them coming at contact at stuck Avcast.com. Now entering cruise flight. Uh, Moving on to our cruise flight, let's talk a little bit about fuel. Fuel management, fuel planning, actually, fuel planning, uh, emergency, and uh, minimum fuel explained. There's a few things here that I want to talk about because... A lot of times in life, uh, current events actually remind us about what's really important. There was a, a recent crash, actually, of uh, an aircraft. It was uh, an actually a, a regional or a jet, a smaller jet, a, and it was a charter, and it was actually in Colombia. And unfortunately, there was a lot of soccer players on board that were uh, killed during that crash, um, but a lot of things have come out. We don't know everything about this, but there is one thing that has come out about this crash is the fact that there was a, a fuel situation. A fuel situation meaning they probably had an emergency fuel situation that doesn't seem to have been clearly uh, actually communicated to uh, the actual air traffic controllers, nor possibly there was some confusion in the cockpit as to whether the declaration was made, et cetera. Uh, the whole approach down there, it was they were flying into Medellin. We've talked a little bit on a past episode. I'm not going to obviously go into detail about it. Uh, write us if you want us to go into that because it's actually a really Interesting instrument approach procedure. Uh, we fly in there quite often to Medellin, and there's a, there's a lot of real gotchas on that approach plate. Uh, it'd kind of be fun, I think, to go over it. So let me know uh, with your feedback if you'd like to hear about that. It's uh, it's a lot different. As a matter of fact, uh, I've talked to some of the guys at the FAA, and this, this approach probably uh, would not be approved here in the United States by the FAA, but it's a real challenge. That was kind of a little bit of part of it maybe. We want to concentrate uh, not so much on, you know, what they did right, what they did wrong kind of thing, but just as this is a reminder to us that we need to look at our fuel and start doing a better job of planning fuel, and, and there's a reason for that on the general aviation side of things uh, with us. Fuel planning is so important because, you know, depending on the statistics, depending on the year, you're seeing anywhere from two to three uh, fuel accidents uh, every year. Uh, week. Those fuel emergencies that happen are not always because they're running low on fuel. It's also fuel in the tanks uh, that may be contaminated. Uh, But we want to concentrate on this one thing, and that's planning our fuel and planning our fuel to our destination. There's a lot of rules that apply as far as what type of fuel we need to bring with us and uh, some of the VFR and also some IFR rules. So, to just kind of kick us off here, I was going to hopefully, Tom, if, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about uh, you know, what, you, uh, what the rules are as far as the, the minimum amount of fuel we can land with, uh, both in a VFR and also in an IFR environment. And then we're going to start a discussion on what we should really be landing with and what's our comfort zone and what's safe. So Tom, would you mind just kind of re- refreshing our memory on, on what the minimum fuel we can land with both uh, VFR and IFR?
5: Sure. So the, um, the the minimum fuel that you're allowed to land with uh, for VFR flight during the day is 30 minutes worth of fuel left. Uh, for nighttime VFR is 45 minutes worth of fuel. Um, I ask my students all the time, well, do you want to be on the ground with just 30 minutes of fuel in your tank? But that's a different subject. Or maybe it's the same subject, but um, that's for uh, VFR flight. For IFR flight, I need enough fuel to make it to my point of intended landing and then to my alternate that I've filed and then 45 minutes beyond that as well.
1: Interesting. So, if you didn't have an alternate, what would you have? You just have forty-five minutes extra fuel. That's the minimum fuel when you get to your destination, right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So, so now we know what our rules are. So let's let's look at the rules and say to ourselves, okay, those are the rules, and those rules were written because of prior experiences and prior accidents. But what's really important is for us to start thinking about how we want to start planning our fuel minimums. One of the things that I think is important is it's also uh, it has to do a little bit with your experience level and your comfort level. And in experience, I mean this. If you've operated within a specific geographic area for a long time and you understand weather patterns, et cetera, you may uh, plan your fuel in a certain manner. If you're in a new area where you don't know if the weather changes rapidly, et cetera, you're probably going to add a little bit of fuel in that environment. But what's interesting is the fact that we're doing a not so great job, are we, of of planning our fuel and taking enough fuel with us. And a lot of times what we do is we don't plan because sometimes we're embarrassed to admit uh, we don't know if we have enough fuel or we're, we're like, oh, you know, kind of that macho thing comes up. Oh, yeah, we got plenty of fuel. Don't worry about it. Uh, I just I can look at it and I know I have enough. Well, that's not true. You have to go through a whole planning process of fuel. Um, one of the things that that's interesting, and we're going to start talking with VFR fuel first and then we're going to really get heavy at the IFR fuel. And uh, I want to know from our flight instructors here, like Tom first, what is it, you, you said something to your students about, you know, do you really want to flan- land with 30 minutes of fuel? W- what is your suggestion as far as t- planning and the fuel that you need to plan to land with?
5: Well, so the basics, I mean, my first flight instructor um, posed the question to me. He said, when's the only time you have too much fuel? And the answer was when you're on fire. So he was trying to drive home the fact to me that I should have plenty of fuel on board at all times to make make it to my point of intended landing and to cover for any... emergencies or mishaps or or redirections that i'm unaware of i, I was uh reading on another chat room uh, late earlier today and um you know somebody was saying they tried to get somewhere and when they got like within eight miles of the place he got a call from the tower and said the, the place is closed um somebody had uh, flown it into the ground and collapsed the nose gear and and they closed the airport down and he had to turn around and go home if i was showing up at that airport with only 30 minutes of fuel left in my tank I might not maybe make it back to where I got it from. So the whole idea is is to to plan ahead, to think about your flight and and what some of the possibilities are to go along the way. Um, by the way, there are weight and balance considerations that that um, you know that I teach my students as well that that you got to take care of. You can't just arbitrarily just fill the tanks up every time you go fly. That said, you still want to put as much fuel in as you can to to complete the flight and maybe cover for any um contingencies along the way and that's that's kind of the point that we try to make
1: I'm glad you brought up the point of getting to your destination and the airport or being closed or them having a problem uh there's that is one of those things that is is really important when we're planning a flight. How many people Think about that, and uh, I want the listener here to, to think about that. Do I really plan my fuel so that I can make it to my destination and then possibly land somewhere else? Landing somewhere else doesn't necessarily mean landing at an airport. It could be a grass strip. It could be uh, somewhere else that's, that's near that airport. And I'll give you an example. There's actually an airport that's out there that part of their procedures, it's a commercial airport, they actually can, uh, if the runway is shut down, because an airport land or an aircraft landed on that runway and was disabled they have a procedure where they can clear the taxiway and let airliners actually land on that airport because the airport's on an island so their contingency planning is to be able to land on that taxiway it's pretty dramatic i mean it's uh, it's kind of a of a uh, you know a heart pumping kind of a thing when you realize it, uh, you know, what, what do we do and how do we plan? We should always try to plan to land on an airport though. Uh, but if, uh, if you have other options in that area, look for them. I think that's a great idea. What do you think, Larry? Um,
3: well, I was uh, just going to relay a quick story. I flew down to, from my, uh, base in Madison, Wisconsin, um, flying a diamond DA40 and, uh, flew down to Northwest Arkansas, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago. And, uh, landed, and was one of the nicest landings I've ever made, by the way. Just really sweet. (laughs) Anyway, um, that's only relevant for one point, uh, which is that I raised the flaps, I told the tower where I was going to be parking on the field, and then I blew a tire on rollout. And I became the reason that the airport was shut down for an hour, because they couldn't get me off the runway. So you know, you can, if I was, you know, the, the, if I was the Mooney that was behind me, um, I would have ended up circling for an hour over the field like he did.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's an important point. I mean, and you, you were the one that caused the problem and and that's where it, you know, it could be you that, that it happens to be the person that's doing that. Now, what do you do? You make sure people know, Hey, uh, I got to get off this runway, et cetera. So that 30 minutes, of of fuel that that can get burned up pretty quick can't it i mean how long did it take you to get off? absolutely the runway? yeah it, it you know gosh it'd take a, quite some time so by
3: the time they got a couple carts over there and a wheel dolly it was an hour
1: wow wow that that that's uh 30 minutes kind of ran out uh, pretty quickly didn't it
3: it it sure did and it was a one runway airport so um you know that's that was just the best we could do interesting interesting
1: well, Tom, did you have another uh, example, I think? Yeah, I was thinking that it, it, a lot of this doesn't
5: even have to be um, mechanical reasons for a runway to be closed. Um, it, I think I heard you describe before was weather. And um, here where I live on the west coast of Florida, it's it's the Tampa Bay area, and I was up with a student one day. Our thunderstorms in the summer summertime can be very localized. So, um, you know, we can get these— um, these big downpours that really don't cover a really big area. And sure enough, one of them ended up right over the top of Tampa International one day. And I happened to be listening to Approach because we were doing some other things into a lo- another local airport. And, um, you know, they, they basically were telling, um, you know, commercial airliners that are showing up that airport's closed. You know, we, we've got weather and, and nobody's coming in. And the, the responses you could hear, you, you could almost hear the quivering in some of these pilots' voices like, well, well what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, and and they're like, Well, you, you can't land here. Right. And and then you you know, and then their thinking starts, you know, like, Oh gosh, what am I gonna do now? So, you know, it, it, it could be all sorts of different situations that that um that that put you um that that, that make that contingency come up that you, you don't know how to plan for, but you, you don't want to be caught by surprise ever.
1: Right, right.
3: Say intentions, Tom.
1: <laughs> In, indeed, yeah. say intentions. That's that's always a, a scary one, you know. We airports close, say intention. I I think that the point here is this and this is really where I I drive at home with my students is always have an alternate in mind, and always if you're in on the good side of the weather, if you're flying towards the weather, uh, have an alternate that you can back up and get to. Have not just one but multiple alternates, and uh, with new GPSs, having the nearest button is a wonderful thing. Uh, I still do this, and sometimes people think I'm nuts, but I always look for an alternate airport as I'm flying along uh, with and looking down and saying, "Hey, we can go there, we can go here." Uh, last time I had uh, a mechanical failure uh, in, uh, in my work airplane. I just looked down and said, hey, there's an airport right there we can land on. I have it up already. If we want to go, we can go right now. Uh, so that is always important to do that. But also <clears throat> having that alternate when you get there is quite important. So in VFR flying, we always want to make it to our destination, but have an alternate in mind. Uh, The problem is, I think, we've been discussing planning flights. Uh, Flights in the local area should be also planned in the same manner. Make sure you have enough uh, gas to get to your your airport and also get to an alternate airport, meaning an, an airport that you need to land at if the airport you're going to actually closes down. Uh, so that's our, that's our VFR discussion. I want to get into the IFR discussion because we have with us a guest today and, uh, and Paul Greco. And I know we've been discussing this quite a bit about uh, aircraft operations within the airline world. Uh, and really we want to glean some knowledge in the airline world, bring it over to, to uh, general aviation flying. Airline flying is basically IFR flying. So let's talk a little more about the IFR flying. Uh, before we do talk about that, there's a couple different concepts that we want to talk about. About, and that's uh, a thing called minimum fuel uh, and emergency fuel. We, have, we hear people talk about that often. So let me just tell you what the aim tells us about minimum fuel. Uh, minimum fuel indicates that the aircraft's fuel supply has reached a state where upon reaching the destination, it can accept little or no delay. Uh, this is not an emergency situation, but merely indicates an emergency situation is possible should an undue delay occur. So, uh, in in the air traffic control uh, manual, the order seven was it seventy one ten. it states, you know, if an aircraft declares a state of minimum fuel, inform any facility to whom control jurisdiction is transferred of the minimum fuel problem, and be alert for any occurrence which might delay the aircraft en route. So that's on on the one side, you know, what minimum fuel is. On the other side, uh, they're helping you out with declaring minimum fuel. There are times, though, the minimum fuel doesn't get po- passed along. So one of the things that I like to do is to remind the controller, because if I'm an hour and a half out and I'm in fuel, I want to tell the controller, hey, I am, I'm minimum fuel. It, and I could go through three controllers, and when I get to the last one, they may not know I'm minimum fuel, which uh, might turn into an emergency fuel situation. Which, by the way, um, there is uh, not really a definition uh, for emergency fuel, uh, they basically you are declaring an emergency due to fuel. So there's no real, you know, it, it's not really defined. But everybody talks about, em- talks about emergency fuel. You're basically just declaring a fuel emergency. So we talk about reserve and stuff like that. But minimum fuel and emergency fuel. So your minimum fuel for most people is that fuel, if you know you're going to get to your destination, you have enough to get to your destination and get to your alternate if you have one, and add 45 minutes, you're usually at your minimum fuel. So you can't have any undue delays. You can do a little bit of a fudge factor, 5, 10 minutes here, whatever yours is, but make sure you declare that minimum fuel as soon as you can. Paul, what's interesting is I know that we have... Uh, in the different airlines, I've, the four different airlines I've flown, we have a specific number in the tanks that talks about what emergency fuel is and what minimum fuel is. It's a specific number which makes it easier for you to figure out. So, say if your minimum fuel is X number, uh, that's basically 45 minutes. You need to declare that. I'm wondering, Paul, what is it that that you you've been had in your experience? I know you've flown charter, you've flown for airlines. You're a captain now with an airline. Uh, what are your definitions of that, and what do you what do you do as far as min fuel and emergency fuel?
4: Well, you know, those are really great points, and this does translate into general aviation flying because this is a number that um, we should all have in our head based on. Uh, You know the specific airplane that you're flying because every airplane right has a specific burn. So for us in particular, we have a burn, a burn rate that they use. It's a specific number, 1182, and that's in pounds per hour. And that's that's our burn uh, for 45 minutes. So that's that's our that is our absolute bare bones minimum um, emergency fuel number. So you you cannot go below. 1182. And I will tell you that I've not come close to 1182. Um, and this gets into the whole discussion of comfort level, but, um, uh, that, that is, you know, having 45 minutes of gas when the weather's bad, you know, and you're getting to your furthest alternate is that's not, that's not a, uh, that's not very comfortable. Just to put it, you know, to put it mildly, but, um, there are essentially what we do at the airline to ensure that we have um, the proper amount of to where we're going is um, we have to be released with a certain amount of gas on board the airplane and we have to take off with a certain amount of gas on board the airplane um, and having those two numbers met ensures that we can we can fly that flight uh, with the amount of fuel on board so for example um we have something called a fuel to, and that is the fuel to is the quantity of gas that the aircraft is supposed to be fueled to, which includes a whole bunch of other um, def- fuel that's def- broken down and defined. We can get into that uh, if you want to. But the, the important number is um, the min to or minimum takeoff. And what that that very important number and this is something that we check this isn't this is checklist driven um, a checklist driven number and we look at this in the beginning and we look at this right before we um, uh, right before we, we depart uh, the runway but the the min two or the minimum takeoff is the minimum amount of fuel which is required on board the airplane to operate the flight as it was released to us meaning operate the flight from you know uh, departure along the, the planned route of flight to the destination, uh, including your furthest alternate, plus forty five minutes of reserve. Now, we have other numbers that are in there for we have extra numbers, for example. So we can have gas, we can take off with the fuel above the minimum takeoff and that fuel would be extra. And that's fuel that we can we can put in our back pocket and and you know save for a rainy day for let's say delay vectors as an example or a gear up on a runway. And so um, but that those are the numbers that we look at when we're departing a runway uh, and then and when you and that ensures that we're able to complete the flight as it was released. Now taking it a step further we have that um, those emergency numbers in our head, but what we also have is a divert number. And what a divert number means is it's a burn for that we. It's a burn number that we use that takes us from the destination overhead the destination airport to our furthest alternate plus forty five minutes. So, um, as we're flying in, uh, let's say. Uh, the weather goes below minimums at our airport. We can hold and wait for the weather to come up, uh, so that we can shoot an approach into this airport. In the event that the the weather does not come up, let's say, if we, <coughs> excuse me, if we uh, reach the point where uh, we do we no longer have the gas to go from the point that we're holding to our destination, plus that divert fuel. We have to. We are then at our our minimum fuel for that flight. We now have to divert to whatever our divert airport is, whatever our alternate airport is uh, that that's on our release. And so um, that's another that that's another important number. Now the, those numbers allow us to operate within the confines of our flight release and within and the and the reason why that's important is because it keeps us legal. And it keeps us safe, so we can we can always guarantee that we get we 're going to get to where we should be going. might not be our originally our original destination airport, but we will get to an airport that 's on our release based on the numbers that we have
1: so paul let 's talk a little bit about the diversion you talked about diverting and you 're going to get somewhere uh, there 's a few things that go through our minds when we 're talking about fuel planning and diverting. Uh, that And that comes up as a question, you know, when do I divert? Uh, a lot of times right. experience helps quite a bit. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many. I know it's more than a dozen times that I've diverted uh, in an right. airliner. The question that people come up with, though, is like, gosh, I didn't realize that uh, you didn't just fill up the whole airplane and then fly uh, to your destination. Well, most airplanes you can't, especially on the – everybody has this problem. If you have an airplane that you fill up with full tanks and you fill it with people – you're not going to be able to possibly take off. and Or, you know, when you land, you may be overweight possibly when you land. Correct. Because you can take off uh, a lot of airplanes, especially airliners, heavier than you can land. Uh, That max structural landing weight is lower than your max takeoff weight. So there's a lot to planning with fuel besides just making sure that we're safe, but we're also safe to land and, and we're within those confines. The one thing that I think is really important in planning when to divert is having that experience and saying to yourself, Hey, you know, I've been in this place a lot of times and I know Mm -hmm. what's happening and I'm hearing somebody starting to divert. People are bailing out. They're holding. I want to be the person that diverts first so I can get my gas and once the weather passes, I can get to my destination. Divert first, get my gas and keep going. There's a right. lot of pressures though, there, Paul, and and it's not just in the airplane. Yeah, it costs world. money. It cost it, co- right. <laughs> it costs
4: right. costs a lot of money to divert.
1: In our own airplane, it costs money. If I have to divert, right. I have to go somewhere, and I have to sit there, and I got to right. e- fill up more fuel into the tanks and spend some more money. I have to also make sure there's gas at my diversion airport if I That's don't right. have enough gas. So there's a lot of uh, things that you have to take into consideration while you're thinking about that diversion airport. But the most important thing, though, I, I really think is really important, is key here, is when you're thinking about diverting, if you start getting in an argument with yourself, uh, with your dispatcher, with your, your friends, right. your parents, your your passengers, the most important thing is to argue on the ground, uh, exactly. not so much in the air. It's just to, to jump on it and divert. Uh, I don't know if, if you've done many diverts, Paul, but... Um, I've I'm, done a couple, yeah. And um, it's, it's tough, isn't it?
4: It's a hard, you know. Pilots are, are really, you know, how we're very mission driven people. We're very goal oriented people, right? We wanna, we wanna. Our our goal is to get the people from point A to point B, and it's to do it safely. But we, you know, if, if I'm flying a flight from Newark to Dulles, I got to get them to Dulles, right? I mean, that's what that's what the flight plan says. That, but that's not what. Your job is to get people from point from point A to point B at some point. You know the best. One of the best advice. Some of the best advice I got when I upgraded to captain was from a guy, a really close friend of mine who's been doing this for a long time. He's he's flying for American Airlines right now, and uh, he, you know, he said your goal is to keep these people safe, period. And your goal is to get them to their destination. But if you have to get them to the destination through another airport, uh, you do what you have to do because you're your main goal is to keep them safe. And and that, that's something that always stuck with me. And it sounds like common sense, right? But when you're feeling the pressure of, you know, you're feeling performance uh excuse me, performance pressure from the company, let's say, or you're feeling, you know, you have, you've got a bunch of people sitting behind you that, you know, uh, want to go home or they have international connections or, you know, what have you, they're going to see sick relatives. You, you know, people travel for all kinds of various reasons. Um, you know, you feel pressure to get them to their destination, but you have to, your job as a professional, your job as a pilot, I don't care if it's a private pilot flying a Cessna 172 or if you're flying an Airbus, you know, A330, your job is to overcome those uh, pressures because the people in the back don't know that. Uh, it's unsafe to fly through a thunderstorm or to to try and shoot an approach below minimums just because you're you want to get to that airport and you're sort of running out of gas. You have to be the one to say, all right, you know we're at our divert fuel. we our alternate is above minimums. We're gonna go to our alternate, um, you know, and we're gonna land, we're gonna get gas, and then we're gonna continue on to our destination. You know, and to Carl's point about, <coughs> excuse me, deciding when you're going to divert diverting early is a super good idea for a lot of reasons um i when i the the couple of times that i've diverted um was very similar situations where we made the decision to divert early and the reason is the likelihood that you're going to be able to get in is small you know that is there a chance Maybe maybe there's a very small chance but the 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 better odds are that you're going to wind up diverting. So do I want to where I am not worried about my fuel. It's just going to be sort of a normal, you know, it's going to feel like a normal leg to us. We're just going to turn around. We're going to go land at this other airport. We're going to land, you know, with a with you know, sufficient gas that we're not concerned about being low on fuel and we're going to get gas and then we're going to continue on. Or do I want to, you know, hold maybe try and shoot one approach, go missed, go to the alternate and be at min, you know, be at my emergency fuel when I get there. And who knows what happens when you get there? Maybe somebody gears up right before you, you know, or maybe they close the airport because, you know, for what any reason, you know, any, any of the number of reasons why, why that happens. So diverting early is key. And, uh, and that gets into a whole discussion about where, where to pick your alternates and things like that. But, um, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a super important point to make. Well,
1: um, as far as ahead, di- diverting early, I think that's important, I and mean, we talked about that. But with the fuel planning, and, and obviously picking an alternate is important, having right. one in a certain spot, and that's a whole other discussion. But uh, as we've talked about planning uh, and planning our flights and looking at fuel, one of the things that we can also do, we just have a, a few more. Uh, minutes to talk about this is we can also make ourselves look really smart sometimes by bringing extra gas and that's something that we don't like to do sometimes especially since we burn more gas and we have extra gas Uh, but uh, it is kind of neat when you're sitting there holding and everybody's diverting and you've got like another hour two, maybe three hours of fuel depending on what kind of tanks you have uh, to be able to hold. And that's right. that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes you don't have that option, but it, it's a great, great thing uh, when you have that extra gas. Um, but it's well, it's things so- to
4: consider with that too. You know, that's a great point. And you know, as an example, this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago, where um, I I heard people holding further down the line, so I brought I brought the power back to our economy fuel uh, economy cruise uh, power settings that which immediately starts saving hundreds of pounds per hour so now you you know you can make more gas while you're flying you know so if you you know go to your poh you know look and see what your economy cruise settings are bring the power back and you'll see instead of burning if you're on a 172 10 gallons per hour you might be able to burn five gallons an hour six gallons per hour you know and so you really increase your range and your endurance by being able to do things like that and so You know, these are all things you want to be, you talk about, you know, this goes into situational awareness, but you're listening, you're listening uh, further down the line to see what's happening. But, you know, you can, you can make more fuel, you can, uh, you know, you can divert early. So these are other, these are little tools that you can use, uh, you know, to your advantage.
1: I think, to your point too, is that we we have not only the tools within the cockpit, we also have the tools outside the cockpit. We're not alone. We can actually ask people, "Hey, you know what's the weather like at these different airports you know, as far as diverting that type of thing uh, i I know that one of the things we talk about environment, one of the things that I find important because I fly a lot of times in in areas where there's only one runway and there's you know no airports for miles. After that, I actually make sure that I can get to my alternate before everybody else does because those airports close down because they're so small. And, right. uh, and that's something that when you start flying into very remote areas, which some of our, our listeners do, it's a very important decision is to start over there uh, rather quickly and early. And there's a lot of different decisions to be made uh, when you're flying your twin or you're flying your single-engine aircraft, etc. cetera. Uh, but one of the things that I want to challenge everybody uh, to do is to say to yourself, I will never run out of fuel. I will never ever run out of fuel. I would rather be embarrassed and be the wimp on the ground. Uh, that's you know, and you know, people that are pretending they're bra, you know, macho, etc., and be that person that says, "Hey, I I made it there safely," rather than the pe- person that brags about the fact that they landed uh, with fumes in their tank. I have a hat's off to uh, a chief pilot that I was speaking with. Who had a uh, pilot that was a reserve pilot and was flying for him, and mentioned to him, "Hey, you know, oh my gosh, it was, it was so tough. We landed with fumes." He's like, "What?" He said, "You know, we landed maybe with 30 or 25 minutes of gas." He says, "You're serious, right? You did do that?" And he said, "Yes." He says, "Well, give me the keys. Uh, you're fired. Uh, that'll never happen here at this at this operation again." And I, I hats off to that chief pilot. I mean, don't put your your people at risk, your operation, and also your passengers. And I think that's really it's hard to do sometimes, but really, really terrific that he he did that. There's a lot to fuel planning. Uh, there's a lot of different tools that we can use. We have some links, and I really I would encourage you. There's some really cool stuff out there at FASafety.gov there's some really neat classes there's also the Air Safety Foundation has some really neat videos and what was is really cool we talked about min fuel and emergency fuel I highly recommend you going out and checking out the videos they have and they talk to actual air traffic controllers as to what min fuel is and and what they actually do and uh, you know during a min fuel situation what they do during an emergency fuel situation and why it's so different. So I think that's a really, really cool thing to watch there. So I really would uh, encourage you to go out there and look at that. Uh, gosh, you know, we could go on in this discussion forever, but unfortunately we're running towards the end uh, of the, the show here. If you're listening and you do have suggestions as far as what you do in your fuel planning, we'd love to hear from you. Again, go to the contact at dot Hey, Carl, can I just and, mention one more thing yep, real go
4: quick right ahead. on yeah, that before sure. we go off? Mm-hmm, sure. I, I want just to, to sort of like summarize everything really quickly and to, to sort of um, have one key point that um, for, for our general aviation uh, flyers, if there's anything that you take away from this, I think one of the most important numbers that I look at on a, you know, every day when I go flying for work is that minimum. That minimum takeoff fuel, which I described again just, very quickly, is the amount of gas that you need on board the airplane to take off and fly your route of flight to get to your destination and go to your furthest alternate. And I remember, you know, as a private pilot, you know, not, I, this is not, that's not a concept that I knew of, you know, and I, you know, you do your fuel planning, but before you take off, make sure. That you look at that those fuel gauges if they're working, you know, in the plane that you're flying, or if they're not working as uh, well as you know they should be, you make sure you know you're an accurate fuel burn and know your taxi, how long you've been taxiing, know how much gas you have in the tanks before you take off, and know how much gas you need to go to where you want to go to, plus your an alternate, and even if it's VFR. You know, you have you have outs. You always we're pilots, right? We always have outs. Know how much gas you need to get to your the destination plus an out. And if you take nothing else away from that, just please take that away from this because that could save your life one day.
1: It sure can. I think it's important to know exactly how much gas you have in your tanks when you leave and when you take off. Do you know? Do you you know? hack your clock when you take off all these different tools we have and i think that's a great point paul so part of that you know make that promise to me that you'll never run out of fuel that's a great tool that'll help you never run out of fuel great great point paul and, and I, I like that takeaway our picks of the week well, guys, now we move on to our Picks of the Week. Uh, we, uh, I didn't ask Paul if he had a Pick of the Week this week. I, uh, I know he was a guest host here, but this is where we discuss some of the products we've been interested in and uh, which we like to promote. So let's start here with Tom. Tom, what is your Pick of the Week?
5: Oh, let's see. You know, I mean, here we are. It's December. Um, you know, I, I just started thinking of, like, what does the pilot need for um, Christmas this year? You know, so, I mean, it's a holiday season, and, and uh, so the first thing I could think of is, what do you do? You go to the mall, so that's what I thought of. I thought of, like, Pilot Mall. And, you know, we our friends over there in Lakeland, and they, they do a good job with things and have all sorts of stuff here and there. So, you know, just kind of shout out to them and, and you know, go go browse the mall and find something for your favorite pilot this year. You know, that's that's what I think we should do.
1: Awesome. I like that. As a matter of fact, we mentioned that in the uh, beginning of the podcast. Uh, we do have that affiliate link. So please, if you're going to visit the uh, pilot mall, go to stuckmygavcastcom slash pilot mall. By doing that, it really does help the podcast. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Tom. All right. And uh, Larry, Larry, what is your pick of the week?
3: Yeah, well, I think I think uh, Tom and I were on the same wavelength here a little bit in terms of uh, coming up to Christmas and gift giving for pilot friends and aviation enthusiasts, and uh, since we had kind of talked about Pilot Mall last week uh, as well. Um, I was going to mention them again, but they've come up a few times, so uh, good folks over there. Um, But a couple of other ideas for, and I'll give you three quick ones. For people who have an interest in in aviation, for those aviation enthusiasts who just never got around to maybe having the chance to to take that first lesson, uh, a gift certificate for an introductory flight. Uh, They'll get a logbook and some time on the ground and some time in the air um, and get to take the controls. Many local airports across the country offer that. You know, pick up the phone, give them a call, uh, see what they can do for you. So that's that's a great item for uh, people who are just right at that edge and would love to get into aviation, but they just need that extra encouragement. Um, Second one for people who uh, maybe are student pilots or uh, you know kind of coming along. Maybe they just got their pilot's license uh, if they don't already have it. Uh, many of us enjoy using the ForeFlight application. Uh, I see on their website they offer gift certificates, so you can give the gift of ForeFlight uh, if you're in, if you're interested in that uh, for somebody who maybe doesn't have it. And then finally, for those of us who have been flying for a while, you know if you want to if you want to give uh, uh, Tom. Uh, or Carl uh, or, or Paula gift, uh, I think one of the <laughs> one of the best things you can do uh, is to contribute uh, to an aviation scholarship or cause in their name. Um, and so I know that there would be nothing that you could do or nothing you could give Carl that would make mm-hmm. him smile more than a gift to uh, Talon Six, right, the Polk yes. State Aviation <laughs> Flying Team, um, <laughs> or to an aviation scholarship that you... Uh, you know, really appreciate, or maybe a local aviation museum that you know somebody likes to frequent. Um, and doing that in their name is, is a really great way to, uh, you know, uh, really pass along that love of aviation uh, in a way that doesn't clutter up the flight bag.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate that. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for uh, actually a scholarship fund that you want to give to, there's a great way to do that. Uh, of course, the uh, aerospace com, which is our sponsor, but. If you want to find the actual websites and you want to know the actual titles, even though you won't get all the information, you can go to Amazon.com, and I'll have a link to it, at AerospaceScholarships.com. You can actually preview the book, and it has a list of all the scholarships within the book. Uh, So you don't actually have to buy it, but if you want to try to find a scholarship fund that intrigues you and would be one you want to give to, I think uh, going out there would be a great idea. There are so many scholarship funds out there that you can help out. Uh, and it's really a wonderful thing to give as a gift of flight to somebody. And there's many, many, many different scholarships out there, millions of dollars that are given away. And if you could just change somebody's life by helping them, hey, maybe solo. There's some solo scholarships. Or uh, you know, contact those organizations. If you can't find them, email me because I, I know uh, quite a few. So uh, we can get you in touch with an organization. You just tell me what kind of a scholarship you want to help with. And I'll, find, I'll put you in touch with the right people that they can have a scholarship in your name. So, Larry, that was an awesome pick of the week. I really do appreciate you doing that one. That's terrific. Um, anyway, moving on to uh, my pick of the week. Uh, it's an organization that I think is really cool. And actually, here's a, it, this is kind of a funny one for me. You know, my wife is really not into aviation. And uh, other than she worked in the military and aviation and helicopters. But she comes up to me and says, hey, you ever heard of this thing called pilots in pause? I saw them on TV the other day, and I'm like, well, I sure do. It's an awesome organization. They actually have a calendar that you can purchase. It's really cool, and uh, I I just love it because it reminds me of one of our other favorite canine aviators, and that's Turbo the Flying Dog. I mean, there's some real characters in this calendar. So I really think you should check out Pilots and Paws, whether you want to get the calendar or you want to help support the cause where they're actually bringing animals and pets from point A to point B, and helping people adopt those pets. And not only that, by the way, if you want to become a volunteer, you don't have to be a pilot. So if you want to get involved, you can get involved. They need people to handle those those animals and uh, and those pets. And uh, a big supporter of Pilots and Paws is our friend Patty Wagstaff. is a, a real huge supporter, and I'm a big supporter of Pilots and Paws. I think it's a wonderful organization. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, dog fan, so I think it's just wonderful what they're doing with dogs. I own cats right now, but I I, I'm, I just think it's the neatest thing what they do and the neatest pictures that they have in their calendar. So go, go check. Check it out. It's a really, really cool one. Well, anyway, that's that was a, a great pick of the week for Larry, and I, I really enjoyed bringing that one. up. Paul, I forgot to ask you, do you have a pick of the week?
4: Well, I can't touch Larry's. That was pretty that was pretty sweet. But um, I would say <laughs> it's actually what the book that uh, you and I were talking about the other day. <laughs> uh, I really like this book. I started reading it again. I had it on my bookshelf. It's called Weather Flying mm-hmm. by Robert Buck, and— Oh, that's you know, a
0: classic!
4: It's a classic book. Yeah, I read it years ago when I was like, you know, doing my instrument training, and and I thought, you know, hey, let me let me zip through this again and see what see if what I can, you know, if I forgot anything. And it's just a really well written book. It it really talks about the practical aspects of flying in crummy weather, and uh, it tells you, you know, what to expect and how to handle it, and you know, and I just find it to be a really great resource. You know, whether you're a, a private pilot, an instrument pilot, instru- student pilot, whatever, you know, airline pilot, I think it's a great resource. It's some, that's one of those books that you keep on your shelf forever. And, you know, it's a, like, you know, like you said, it's a classic. And um, so I really enjoy that book.
1: You know, a real important thing about that book, it's actually been updated to the fifth edition uh, just a few yeah. years ago. And it's, yeah. it's used in certain collegiate environments. And that oh. that's a good addition to have. The one by mcgraw Hill. Uh, we'll have a link to that.
4: I don't have that one actually. I think yeah. I have the fourth edition.
1: It, oh, this one's cool. It's really <laughs> it brings you up to date uh, on different things like uh, discussions of different weather information. You know how to get it that type of thing in the new environments oh, cool. and different weather phenomena, GPS and the, the you know the smart technologies we have now. And all right. the weather that's involved, and the weather flying within our cockpit, uh, different uh regs Oh, I bet you've got
4: ADSB stuff in there yeah, it, too. Oh, yeah. probably right. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Really, Gosh, really guys.
3: cool
1: stuff. Yeah.
4: My,
3: mine, mine just says uh, copyright 1970, twelfth printing <laughs>
4: 1974. <laughs> you don't have to date yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Time to update that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe.
4: The first generation. That's the first. That was the first one off the press, I think. Yeah,
1: it was. We, uh, but, but Larry, you you look young at heart, and uh, I know you're going to go out and <laughs> purchase the new one so you can kind of get up to date on the weather. But for, uh, for the
3: record, I was only in fourth grade then.
1: Oh, Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were young when you got into aviation. Um, was but, two. Yeah, you two. I do remember those years, um, but uh, anyway, the go check. Oh, by the way, we'll have a link to that one, the McGraw Hill version, the fifth edition. It's cool. It's a little expensive, but it's a real cool book. You can get it uh, on Kindle version too. So I highly, highly recommend that one. Uh, last but not least is Rick Felty. Rick, what is your? Hey guys. Pick of the week?
2: away. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to just uh, give a shout out to a friend of many of ours, Dan Pimentel's um, Airplaneista Aviation blog, which is just a, a great destination to read um, interesting and fun stories uh, about aviation. All kinds of stories. I mean, Dan writes in a, for a lot of uh, a lot of publications and online things from AO, AOPA to EAA, and of course, we know him uh, for the famous Osh Bash parties and uh, gatherings that he hosts. Um, at Oshkosh every year. And uh, especially if you're a bacon lover, I, I have a feeling you, you would know about those. But if you don't know about his blog, it's worth it to, to check it out. And the blog recently featured uh, one of our co-hosts, Victoria Newville, in a discussion of... Uh, aviation insurance there are a lot of great articles and oh the other thing that is kind of cool is that uh, there are book giveaways and stuff on the site so i just rediscovered it uh, recently and thought even though we probably mentioned it uh, once a long time ago it was worth it to uh, bring it up and uh, let people know about it again in case they didn't know about it so that's my pick of the week airplane east aviation blog
1: awesome and a great writer yes he is He's terrific. As a matter of fact, we're going to try to have him on someday, but he uh, that's a terrific website. I remember it was Aviator Dan, but it's Airplaneista. It's uh, really a, a cool little website there. Yeah, I think
2: you can find it either way. I think the URL is, you're right, yeah. Aviator Dan, with an 8 in the middle.
1: Yeah, there's there's some really neat – and as a matter of fact, another friend of ours is in one of the articles uh, recently who's a, a volunteer over at uh, Sun and Fun. In one of the most uh, recent articles, talking about your airline miles and and uh, turning those into uh, some really fun adventures, uh, running around the, yeah. the the globe. So good stuff, great articles. I really thanks for for that one. Yeah. So airplaneista.com.
2: I, no doubt we've we've undoubtedly mentioned it before, but yeah. I, I thought it was time to mention it again.
1: Yeah, oh, most definitely. And uh, oh, by the way, this actually will our next episode. This one is the fifteenth and uh, the next one's going to be the new year and uh, usually for the new year obviously we do a best of uh, Stuck My Gavcast or uh, a really stellar interview that we had or, or you know an interview that was a was a, a life changer for certain people so that'll be coming up we uh, our editorial board decides which one that is that's basically us here at the, at the podcast and uh, we try <laughs> to figure <laughs> we figure out <laughs> what we what we need to put in there and uh, we come up with our best of if you have suggestions let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Contact at StuckMyCavcast.com Some really, really great great stuff that we've had this year, some real learning experiences we've had with the podcast. Uh, We're taking it in a new direction next year, slightly new direction, and uh, we'll just uh, keep that as a drum roll for next year. Uh, I've uh, really committed to making this uh, a spot where you can come, you can learn, you can have fun, and you can inspire people to go out there and fly. Uh, If we don't talk to you this year, of course, uh, we want you to make sure that you fly safe this year. And that you make a resolution to never ever run out of gas, and we talked about that in the beginning of this podcast here. So never ever run out of gas, uh, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, this year working with all the folks and all the co-hosts here right now, uh, including you know of course Sean and and Russ and Victoria, Larry, Rick, you know Tom, and of course Paul helping out here. It's a, it's been wonderful, Eric Crump. Uh, just been a, a great pleasure. And uh, in, in the new year, I will give a little hint here. There's a lot of podcasters out there that it, that are in aviation that have been incredibly inspiring, and uh, we're gonna start having a few of those on next year and uh, so look for them in some of the upcoming episodes. Again, folks, we really appreciate your listening and we can't wait till the next year, two thousand and seventeen, and to bring this podcast to you on the first and the fifteenth of every month been doing it for years and we want to continue to do it for many years have a safe new year we'll talk to you next year
0: you've been listening to the stuck mike abcast